you're listening to the big chill podcast this is episode 510 wake up niners nation Big Chillians, welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank joins always with Eddie. Eddie, how was your Halloween? What was your costume? Um, I didn't really have a costume. Uh, last night when I was out, I had a T-shirt that had some it had like uh, bones on it, you know, like a skeletal T-shirt. It wasn't exactly not a lot of effort was put into the costumes on either Saturday or or on Halloween itself. All right, but you were out for Halloween. Did you see any good costumes? Saw some some decent ones. I mean, I, th- I think it's the interesting thing of being back out on both Saturday, especially on Saturday. Yesterday, it's a bit clearer. Like today is a is a holiday here in in France. So like the third Halloween day after Halloween's a holiday. Yeah, it's All <laughs> Saints Day, so that lines up nicely for if you want to have a night a good night out, even when Halloween falls on a weekday. It's pretty convenient. So last night when you saw people out, you kind of knew they were out a little bit for Halloween. However, on Saturday night, it does put you in that awkward middle ground of not being sure if someone's in costume or just dresses kind of weirdly. And I think that's, I found myself on multiple occasions trying to figure out if someone was dressing up or just was eccentric, let's say. Yeah, and it's, you know, Monday's also weird too because... Being on campus, you'll see people just sometimes dress up for Halloween for the day, like on that Monday. And for instance, I was going to get a coffee and I was off campus, like on the the downtown part that's kind of connected. And there was a guy in just like really fancy wizard robes. At first I was like, what the fuck is this guy wearing? And then it literally took like five seconds for it to click. Like, oh, it's like Halloween. He's wearing harry potter robes or something you know like but it was really strange because not enough people are dressed in costume during a day yeah so when you see like one person in a weird outfit it still like fucks with you a little bit (laughs) i mean the moment i was on the other end of that once was when we had that really when we all put a lot of effort into our village people costume and i had the i worked on the mustache and i bought all the biker gear and stuff for my my part of it and I remember taking the I worked on the mustache like like you were at home just like like pulling at the pulling at well, the Well, it was, it was you know, I prepared for <laughs> I prepared for a few weeks and and then I remember taking the metro at like six o'clock or whatever because we were meeting up pretty early and just being on the like rush hour metro dressed up as a biker. And Halloween's a th- I mean, this is ten years ago too. Like it wasn't a big enough thing here where people were absolutely certain. And again, that was a weekday. People were not certain. So I think a lot of I was getting a lot of looks from people who just thought I was some strange biker person who really bought into the sort of 70s, 80s biker's look, biker look and was just on my way home from work or, you know, trying to find my Harley somewhere. Well, was it any worse, though, than the uh, friend of the podcast, Abe, who similarly but on the day after halloween got on the rush hour train in a full cowboy costume with a sleeveless <laughs> shirt vest and a cowboy hat i mean i think that's slightly better because i don't think anyone thought he was just a lost cowboy although he was but if you see what i mean I don't, 
I don't think anyone is looking at him and thinking that's how that guy dresses on a daily basis. They could have probably figure out he was at a costume party or something. Mine was in that, again, in that awkward middle ground of it was just close enough to what someone might wear as their thing that it makes people uncomfortable. Speaking of friends of the podcast, I got a message from a fellow listener who uh, slightly called you out and also called us out in general uh, by saying, is there any credit due to the Seahawks finally after this week? And to you directly, he's calling out the fact that you are not worried at all about the Seattle Seahawks now being in sole possession of first place in the NFC West. Nope, not even breaking the slightest of sweats. There wow. is no concern. No love for Geno Smith here on this podcast, I guess. I mean, look, I think my opinion on Geno Smith has probably changed slightly over the course of this season, where, you know, up until the start of this year, I would have put him firmly in the okay backup, but was guaranteed to make a mistake at some point over the course of a game, which is kind of what we saw from him last season when he filled in for Russell Wilson. I think he's now a serviceable NFL quarterback. Like I'm, I don't, I'm not going to go too overboard based on the fairly small body of work that we've seen from him so far this season. And, but I think now, if you told me a team had Geno Smith as a, as their starting quarterback, I'm not automatically ruling them out from playoff contention. I'll say that. That's how I've kind of upgraded him. Okay, but not worried. I mean, no, especially not after what we saw from the Niners this weekend. I'm not worried at all. I mean, oh, now we're back on the Niners. Oh, Niners Nation is Super Bowl bound. After, I mean, yeah. Christian McCaffrey so, can can do it all, and yeah, we might not literally. need anyone else. Yeah. So yeah, he he threw a touchdown, caught a touchdown, and rushed for a touchdown the first time since 2005 when Ladanian Tomlinson did it, and only the third time in history. Walter Payton did it in 1979. So he is... Ah, sweetness. Yeah, it is a select group of people. It kind of... When it happened, and I was watching, I said to the people I was watching it with, I wonder how many other players have done that in NFL history. It must be a pretty short list. I was actually surprised that the list is exclusively running backs. You know what I mean? Like, I... I would, yeah. I would have thought that a, I would have thought that a quarterback would have got in there at some point with just a trick play where you end up the quarterback has a receiving touchdown because you're you're going to pencil them in for you know. maybe now maybe more recently, but you know you figure before the last ten years it was pretty rare for quarterbacks to actually score rushing TDs. They maybe have like one or two a season max. You know now you have QBs that are getting six or eight a year. So that might have limited it. And and com- combo that with a catch for a TD probably happens once a career for them. So that would have for to have been a pretty them, yeah. rare feat for a quarterback. Maybe nowadays I can see it a little more. But I would have thought a receiver because, you know, you think about like they do run the ball a decent amount with reverses and things like that. Maybe Debo Samuel will do it one day. Uh, well, he's had a, he's had a passing touchdown before. So he is yeah. a good candidate. And so I is mean, Cooper Cup, right? I yeah. think he's had a passing t- a few even. Yeah. So like, it's interesting. 
and you're right because normally if you have a lot of the trick plays where you have someone other than the quarterback throwing the ball it's usually a wide receiver like most of the time so it's true i mean then the story came out right that this play that they developed for christian mccaffrey the where he is did throw for the touchdown only came about because kyle shanahan was just sort of thinking out loud and saying, does anyone know, this was on Wednesday or Thursday in preparation for the game, does anyone know if Christian McCaffrey can throw the ball? And <laughs> and then they found some game tape or something of him throwing it. And I think it was either from college or high school. And then, Well, his okay, brother was the quarterback for Nebraska. Well, yeah, that doesn't mean he can throw, though. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure there's some throwing blood in the family. <laughs> I'm I mean, sure, all right. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you told me he was the quarterback in high school and they ran like an option type offense. Maybe. He's pretty small though. Yeah, but still he's a savage. <laughs> like... <laughs> I, yeah, but I, and also, I mean, he's from a, a real football family, right? So you would just assume he would throw because when your dad played in the NFL and you're just growing up around football. Dad was a receiver, so. Yeah, you're just going <laughs> to imagine you were tossing the ball around in the backyard or whatever so that you would have. He just made his son's field. throw to him all day. Yeah, <laughs> got to work mean, on my hands, kids. Throw me the damn ball. <laughs> it was a very good throw to a wide open receiver, admittedly, but it was still a very nice throw. Uh, but I was just a dominating performance from him. And just, it, it just gave you a glimpse if he stays healthy of what the potential for that offense is especially when you factor in that they were missing Debo Samuel and missing Juszczyk like that's two of their main offensive weapons were not involved in that game on top of how good they looked the, the question is can he stay healthy and can all of the other components stay healthy because there's a number of players in that Niners offense who are injury prone especially since they've traded away one of their running backs already at the trade deadline today. Yeah, I get that though. Cause he wasn't going to be, they've still got a, plenty of other options, right? Like they're they They would just had too many running back options. Uh, but, but Eddie, the more running back options you have, the least you have to throw the fucking ball with Garoppolo. <laughs> and he didn't have, to me, that was also a very, that was kind of the epitome of the Jimmy G experience because the first half he was not very good. And then as the Niners kind of took control of the game, he became better. And again, he's a great quarterback when you have a lead. He's not a great quarterback for a comeback, even though they came back twice in that game. But it's just, you can see within him that if he feels confident, his performance improves significantly but as soon as there's a little bit of doubt there and but i think that's also the nice thing for him in this addition to christian of christian mccaffrey to their offense you know he loves a he stares down his primary receiver a lot of times and doesn't go through his reads i think having the ability for him to have to be running plays where he thinks that he has easy checkdowns or kind of you know like safety release valves to either kittle or mccaffrey should make things just so much easier for him. I still think he'll struggle to throw that ball downfield because that's just the that's what Jimmy Garoppolo struggles with. But it, it should help him out a lot. So last podcast, we went through a few of the games that were of interest, uh, one of which being San Fran and the Rams. And the Niners have once again owned the Rams as they have now for the past several years since Jimmy G. Eight. 
been a eight starter. wins in a row in the in the regular season. Obviously, yeah. the blip For- being the the playoff game. And and that's, I do sometimes feel like there's this narrative of like the Niners dominate the Rams. I think if you're a Rams fan, you'd be like, yeah, except from that one time where it kind of really mattered. mattered. (laughs) Yeah. Like the (laughs) NFC championship game was the most important of any of those games we've played in those four, in that four year span. So, yeah. So the other, the other game we talked about that had a long streak in it was the Jets and Patriots with the Jets never being able to beat the Patriots in what seems like forever. <laughs> uh, and that stayed the same. Thanks, I think, in a large part to Zach Wilson and his inability to uh, really control a game through three interceptions, two of which were terrible interceptions um, and is very erratic as a quarterback versus Mac Jones, who kind of played the ultimate game manager and held the Patriots in there to, to win. Overall, not a very exciting game. Uh, I also I watched some of it, but big turning point, right? In terms of that pick six. Yes. It, it, having the roughing the passer, which was a correct call. Like it was roughing the passer, but in a fairly tight, low scoring game that the, the jets probably win that. If you don't have that roughing the passer on that play, but yeah, I, I, I will say at, at, at the time, what was this? Or was it 13-10 New England, maybe? Something like that? Some, yeah, it would have given the Jets the lead. Yeah. And look, okay, i got listeners questioning where, if I'm changing my feelings on the Seahawks. This was a weekend that reaffirmed my position on not putting the Giants or the Jets anywhere near my top 10 in the power rankings. Well, I, the... The Giants, I think, looked slightly better. I think they're playing. I think the Seahawks are better than the Patriots, and the Giants had two muffed punts, which are just killer. In any in any game, if you're muffing two punts, there's a decent chance you're losing that game. I think the Seahawks probably are better than the Patriots. I think the Giants are definitely better than the Jets. That's for sure. I think the Jets are about the wheels, as far as I'm concerned, are about to come off the Jets season. They're going to go into free fall now, but still. You know, I think the Giants are a, a middle-of-the-pack team in the NFL right now, which this season, because it's not a great season, that could mean they make the playoffs. That could mean they even win a playoff game because there's you know, not a huge difference between being the 16th-best team and the 6th-best team, But at, at least from a consistency standpoint. But I would not feel comfortable putting them in the top 10 in my power rankings, for sure. Niners yeah, are back I mean, I in, think- though. I think they're going to be a, a 500 level team, the Giants this year. That would be, you know, and what's going to be disappointing for many Giants fans is just because you start off six and one doesn't mean you're a one loss team. Uh, you know, teams go on streaks, teams get lucky, teams play other teams at the right times, you get easy schedules. I think you have to look at the roster you have and be very, very happy that you're six and two right now with a roster that. If you ask anyone else in the NFL who are the Giants receivers, they couldn't even fucking name them. And I don't think most Giant fans could name them at this point. <laughs> no, I think that's – yeah, I think that's right. People can get caught up. They like get a little bit of momentum going. You know, sports fans are so fickle both ways, right? Either a couple bad results and they are just so negative about the teams that they like and a couple good wins and all of a sudden, wow, are, is this the greatest team we've ever seen? You know, you, you just get those – the, it's a real roller coaster from an emotional standpoint with most sports fans. And certainly it can be easy mid season. And it's one of those things 
as you know about one of the teams that we talk about that I support, not on podcast, but off podcast, I try and keep my feet on the ground as much as possible when things are going well. I mean, I'm usually waiting for the other shoe to drop when it comes to when one of my teams is, is doing well. But I can understand from a Giants fan's perspective that you, or a Jets fan, especially if you're a Jets fan, because things have been bad, so bad for so long that it's kind of nice to get carried away, to believe a little bit. That's, you know, that's why we all like sports. It's that hope and the optimism. It's kind of part of why you're there. So I'm not I'm not trying to criticize them necessarily for allowing that, them to get themselves a little bit worked up. But the reality is neither of these teams are, you know, the Bills are not turning up to play the, either of these teams and <laughs> are, you know, worried about oh, what kind of unique game plans are we going to have to come up with to try and beat the Giants. So you said that the wheels might be coming off for the Jets. Where on the highway are the wheels for the Green Bay Packers right now? How many miles behind that car are they? I mean, that performance, like I'll put, say this, that was that was a better performance than we've seen from them in a while. I mean, they could run the ball really effectively, and I think they've received a lot. There's been a lot of criticism of them right over the course of this season for the fact that their run game has actually probably been the only thing in their offense really working, and that they've refused to use it. And then that game for the first three quarters, all they did was run the ball. But I mean, they were averaging over seven yards a carry. So why would you do anything else? But part of me, so I think there's reasons to see that performance and think, do you know what? That was okay. Like if they'd won the other games recently, you know, if they hadn't had that losing streak and then that had been their performance against the Bills, you would have said, you know what? That's an okay performance against probably the best team in the NFL. Like you weren't embarrassed by them and you had maybe a chance to get back into the game and stuff like that. The thing I will say is the fact that they seemed so happy or so willing to just lose by 10 points, you know, like there was no real urgency from them to really try and get back into that game when they were going to, I mean, they were putting, they were doing that thing I'm critical of the Niners for doing, where it's like, okay, you've got the ball in the fourth quarter. The one thing you cannot do, you're losing by multiple scores. You can't put together a six, seven minute drive now. Like, yeah. You're playing defense against yourself at that point. And you could just tell from their overall body language, it was almost as if they thought to themselves, you know what, we'll take the 10-point loss. Like we can we can pat ourselves on their back and feel a little bit better about ourselves on Monday than we maybe thought we were going to because we're – I mean, Aaron Rodgers, right, coming into the game, he made that weird comment in the press conference about how maybe being exposed would be a good thing for them. I don't know if you saw that comment. And I think when you have your quarterback pre pre game talking about how like well this might be a great experience for us because we might be able to we might be about to be absolutely destroyed and that could be great for us that doesn't fill me with confidence either. Yeah, and you know what? Actually, this reminds me very similar with the with the New York Giants. They did what I would say gives me no confidence in their team is they had a minute and thirty left in the first half. They got the ball on their own 30 uh, on like a kickoff minute 30, all three timeouts down by three. And they decided to just run and run out the clock and punt it and go into halftime down three points. And, you know, I said, how can you be, how as a fan, can you be confident that this team has a chance to win the Super Bowl that they aren't even willing 
to on the final drive with three timeouts, go down the field and get some points before half and one either tie the game or take the lead and two get momentum and, and some, you know, just some positive feelings on their side. You cannot tell me in any scenario that the chiefs, the bills or the Eagles are not going to go for points with a minute 30 and three timeouts left before the half. Like no way. If you want to be a Super Bowl caliber team, you have to have that confidence in your team that you can drive down the field in a two minute drill and get points. Like it was so pathetic to watch. And that really was the first time watching the giants that I felt, you know what? They might be six and two, but they are not a Super Bowl caliber team caliber team. Cause they don't have that confidence. Yeah. And it's one of those weird cliches that you apply to a lot of sports, right? It applies to American football, applies to football, soccer, where, Scoring either just before halftime or just after halftime has so much more significance in a game. It's like a weird mindset, but you know, like the momentum you take into as much as Bill Barnwell would hate that, yeah, but take into sure. ha- halftime of like, okay, on that final drive, even if it's just a field goal, we got those extra points. Like we really, we kind of put the finishing touches on that first half performance. We've sent that other team in a little bit down on themselves because they let us get more points right before the half when they would have felt they would have felt as if they should have got a stop and, and gone into halftime with the same score. So you have that ability. I think I agree with you, especially when you're up against Geno Smith. You know, it's different. If you're up against Mahomes, you're maybe even when you're getting the ball back, you're worried about, oh shoot, if we Yeah. We'll be conservative here because we don't want to give the Chiefs the opportunity to get an extra few points right before the halftime. Yeah. But in the case of against the Seahawks, take the risk. Because, yeah, if you'd ended up punting with 30 seconds left, they're probably just kneeling and going into halftime anyway. So, you know, like why? And, and, you know, and I think like long term too, right? If if you aren't confident that you can drive down the field against a weak defense of the Seattle Seahawks, who's like ranked in the bottom 10 on a random Sunday, then how are you going to be confident if you're in a playoff game against the Buffalo Bills in the fourth quarter and you need to go 60 yards down the field to get a score? You know, like if you're not confident yeah. now, how can you possibly be confident then? And that's disappointing. It's it's sad to watch almost. Yeah, you know, it's an opportunity to almost put yourself into like a training mindset of like, this is a two minute drill situation. Let's let's pretend we're down three with, you know, two minutes to go final in the fourth quarter. And let's see, let's put together, let's, let's try and do what we would do in that situation because it also, it's a pretty young team, right? So it's not like you got Tom Brady at quarterback and you go like, look, we don't need to like go through the dress rehearsal on this. He's done it a million times. Like Daniel Jones does not have that many, you know, game winning drives on his NFL CV. Doesn't, you know, none that many two minutes to like successful two minute drives. So maybe take that and a, a, a relatively inexperienced head coach as well. Like there's a lot of opportunity there to kind of go through that and see, all right, that's, this is what we can do better. Like, even if it's just little things of like, okay, we didn't, we didn't get to the line of scrimmage fast enough there. Or like, we're, we're not, we've got some inefficiencies in terms of how we're relaying the play calls to you. Like, this is not great. Like you'd, you'd think you'd want to go through that to try and have that uh, experience. I guess the real question, I got a couple questions to, on the, on the back of the NFL uh, weekend. Well- I just want to follow Uh, up one more for you and then, and then you can give me some questions. Go for it. Philadelphia is flying high right now. World series Eagles still undefeated. They just manhandled 
arguably a shitty Steelers team, but are you starting to believe that this is a team that can beat the Chiefs or the Bills? My position is kind of unchanged, which is just I haven't seen them play or beat anyone good yet. You know, like it's... But isn't it slightly impressive that they're playing so well so consistently? Whereas you said this year in the NFL, the majority of teams aren't doing this. I mean, there's a handful, less than a handful of teams that are. And at some point, I mean, you kind of just have to look back and say, they're almost dominating every game they're playing at this point. You know, it's it's impressive. The offense is looking very good. No, look, they it's you can't fault them. They've not put a foot wrong this season. But at the same time, you look back on who they've beaten. Their best win, I guess, is maybe the Vikings in week two. But then, you know, this Viking team has been inconsistent. Aside from that, okay, they played the Cowboys and won that game. But then it was without Dak Prescott. So there's a kind of asterisk there because I think the Cowboys are a good team. It's still a good win because they were with Cooper Rush. They still were all right. But it's not the best version of the Cowboys that they played. And then, I don't know, who else? The Cardinals? They beat 2017. There's not... I mean, it's such a bad set, set of opponents that they've played that it's difficult to get to... I don't know where... And the, the, the bigger issue they then have is I don't know when they're going to get a win that makes me feel more... Because their next set of games, Texans, that won't change anything for me. Commanders, that won't change anything for me. Colts, that won't change anything for me. Packers, that won't change anything for me. Titans, that won't change anything for me. Giants, that won't change anything for me. Bears, that won't change anything for me. So it's December 24th. They play the Cowboys again. And assuming everyone's healthy, that's the first time. And that's (laughs) like the... I mean, put it that way. I think that's the only team... The Cowboys are the only team on their schedule... The Cowboys and the Vikings are looking at their schedule. And I guess someone has to come out of the group. Um, like, the, But they they're, they're probably have end up, ended up playing three playoff teams in the regular season. I mean, they look good. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not... I think they could win the Super Bowl. But I'm just... I kind of want to see them beat good teams before I get too comfortable or confident... Because it's like I, we've said on the previous podcast, like there's some of these teams where they've been inconsistent, but they've shown themselves in the playoffs before, or they at least know what, you know what version of them, like the Niners, for example, are inconsistent. And I don't think they're great, but you know that when they get to the playoffs, you know kind of what version of them gets presented. There's a couple of these teams here that are going to be in the mix this season, the Eagles, the Vikings, a few others where... I don't really know what playoff versions of them will look like. And that would be my big issue. I'll give you a quick fire question on the back of the Bengals. Just dismal performance last night against the Browns, which I think they're out of playoff contention pretty much at this point. Like I can't, it's difficult to see. Oh, you're giving me a, you're giving, you think they can make the playoffs still? I mean, they're four and four. Yeah, but <laughs> What gives you any the big issue of- is Jamar Chase uh, is a is an obvious factor because without Jamar Chase they did not look like the same team at all and he's going to be out for a significant period of time. Yeah, and I don't think their problems last night were purely down to Jamar Chase being out. But yes, uh, but who's the biggest disappointment for you then 
this season? Is it the Raiders, who also got embarrassed this weekend? The Bengals, who had just an awful performance against what at best we could maybe call a mediocre Browns team? The, the Packers, who I think everyone would have expected to win the NFC North and who are look like they got no chance of doing so. And then I guess the Rams, maybe you throw into that mix as well. Obviously, as defending Super Bowl champions also look as if they might struggle to make the playoffs. Who out of those teams disappoints you the most in terms of what they've shown so far this season? Can I go with an unnamed one? Yeah. I think probably Tampa Bay Bucks. Oh, yeah. I, forget. Yeah, I, should, have thrown them into, I should have thrown them into the mix. Although the difference, uh, I guess, is I expect them to make the playoffs still. Yeah, I guess I kind of do as well, but they they have been largely disappointing. Uh, just from the fact that you think, you know, with Brady, nothing's going to change there, and uh, they have been disappointing. I Again, I don't think Green Bay – I would say maybe behind them would be the Rams because it's strange to me that they're three and four. Had you told me they were two or three losses, I would say, okay, that's fine. They're in a tough division, even though maybe that division is as tough as we thought it was, but – Okay, but to be three and four and to, I mean, their wins are against the Falcons, the Cardinals, and the Panthers. So those are like pretty easy wins. You know, maybe the Cardinals, you could argue, are a somewhat tough team. But, you know, the Falcons and the Panthers, not so great. Uh, They do have a tough schedule, so maybe someone would have predicted that. But it's still disappointing. I mean, even with a tough schedule, you're the defending Super Bowl champions. You should be able to 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 win games and i guess we'll see we'll see who's the bigger disappointment because they play each other next week i'm pretty sure yeah and that's a a big test in terms that is like a must win for both teams almost at this point definitely for the rams again maybe not for the bucks because that division is just so bad yeah, and, and and I mean, it's people talk about the Super Bowl hangovers, right? So, I mean, when you look at the Bengals, so out of the first 55 Super Bowls, 38 at times, the team that lost the Super Bowl uh, came back to make the playoffs. So it's only a 69.1% playoff rate if you've lost the Super Bowl the season before, which is not really that great. Not that good. No, I mean, it, it means that I maybe talking about it as being all that much of a... Uh, shocker it's it's not quite as surprising as as it maybe looks my other question then would be talking about the game it's dames themselves in in more specificity that panthers falcons game in many ways ended up being the most exciting game of the weekend not probably what was expected from a panthers team i think most people thought had given up or were on their i mean we as we mentioned trying to give up they probably, I mean, they should have won that game on two different occasions, having the the PAT that would have won it and then a fairly kickable field goal that also should have won it in overtime. What were your, I don't think we have to talk about the game itself in too much detail, but what were your thoughts on the penalty for taking off the helmet after the, what was the game tying touchdown? I understand that by the rules of the game, that's the, like the correct call, but I feel there's so much inconsistency as to when the helmet being removed 
a flag gets thrown or kind of what level of celebration or taunting. We saw it over the course of this weekend too, like just the inconsistencies in the taunting calls. It's, if you're the Panthers, I feel a little bit hard done by. I think we're going to see very similar celebrations on multiple occasions and nothing's going to happen. Uh, you're right. It, it's it's a tough rule uh, because it is pretty inconsistent, but I feel like it's one of those rules that day one of training camp, when they all come in and they get you know that rule book and they have someone come in and go through it, it's always one of the rules, just don't take off your helmet. No matter what, don't take off your helmet. It's it's one of the it's just there, right? It's like always there, just don't do it. So the fact that even if it's like a weak call, just don't do just don't fucking take your helmet off. <laughs> I do agree with you. And when I saw him do it, the instance I saw him do it, I was like, uh oh, that could be a flag. Um but <laughs> it's like even even if it gets ripped off, put it back on. You know, just like put it back on. Well, it's also don't not, don't get caught in that scenario. It's not. It's also not only that he did, took it off; he kind of throws it to the ground, he flipped it. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's it kind of looks more dramatic than if he had just taken his helmet off and as part of the celebration. But it does just seem inconsistent. It, it's a. I guess the other thing I struggle with is like, at what moment in time are you allowed to take your helmet off? Because the play is done, right? Like he's leaving the field of play. Technically, he's going. You know, he's kind of going for. Like, so according more. to Terry Mc. Terry McCauley, who's the, one of the NBC uh, like um, rules analysts, he says it's not a penalty because he's technically off the, off field, the field of play because he takes it off out of the end zone, like as soon as he steps out of the end zone. So technically, that's not. But that a was, I mean, that I've that's seen very that too, close. <laughs> but you have to like slow motion that replay to be certain as to whether or not he's still in the end zone or not. But yeah, I I don't know. I just didn't, and the, the, it also. It was one of those penalties where it made such a huge difference to the distance on the point after. Like, it, yep. all of a sudden it went from the gimme to like, oh, wow, this is actually pretty far away. You should still be kicking it because, I mean, what was it, like a 48-yarder? You still expect NFL kickers to, I mean, I'm sure they'll, and the Amazon, you know, like next-gen stats that they would throw up of whatever the percentage expected make rate of that is. It's probably in the 80 or 90% range, but... Does he get cut? Yeah, it is, is that his... crazy. That... No, <laughs> I don't think I don't think he gets cut. He's too good a receiver. But I, I mean, no, I meant is the kicker. No one giving the. Oh, <laughs> oh. maybe. <laughs> is no one giving the Panthers the memo to to start losing? Like I'm confused here. They beat the Bucks last week, and now they tried to win this game. Or did they get the memo and only Eddie Panero got the memo? It was only in his it was in his cubicle. Miss extra point if necessary. Well, I mean, he's the right guy to give the memo to, right? Because he can keep games competitive. And you know, look, look, as long as we miss field goals and extra points, we're probably not winning anyway. So if if you were going to put the fix in on a game, the kicker is the first one. You'd probably want to be involved in it. But it is strange. And it's strange because, I mean, if they'd won that game, which they should have done, they would have then been top of the division. So you're in a situation where this team we think yeah. we think are kind of trying to tank are technically in the box seat to make the playoffs. But, yeah, I, I don't know exactly what's going on there. It's a very confusing set of events. And, I mean, everyone is talking a lot about Geno Smith, and I think a lot of people are kind of dismissing 
Marcus Mariota, who's also, I mean, kind of have a little bit of a comeback season here. You know, he's playing decently well. I have Not to great, right? But yeah, I have to admit, I was watching that game and even though I've watched multiple Falcons games so far this season, I had to remind myself that he was their quarterback over the course of that game. If you said like I, there was, I was, I was kind of just like, it was one of the four games that I had on plus the red zone. And then you just have to go, Oh wait, who's there? Who's the Falcons quarterback again, even mid game, which is not a good sign (laughs) for him. But I mean, he's, he's super game managing it right now. Uh, But you know, they're, they're what four and four they're doing. Okay. I, th- I think they're a great example of play calling to minimize the limitations of your quarterback. They're using, he's kind of a danger, you know, they're using his mobility as a big threat and they're being creative in terms of how they approach their offense. And it's a great example. It's what some teams fall short of, of call the plays based on actually who your quarterback is and not on based on what you want your offense to look like. And, I, actually, I think the reverse of that is the Jags, who, like Trevor Lawrence, I don't feel like they call an offensive. Maximize, maximize the potential to ruin a game. That's the play call the <laughs> yeah. Jaguars are giving. I mean, he's he's not playing well. I'm still, I've insulted him before this season. That was a pretty terrible London performance from him and that the Jags should have won that game. Like if he just hadn't on multiple occasions thrown it away, they would have won. I mean, and and their defense going to sleep uh, on that final, allowing you know Russell Wilson to look like some something like Russell Wilson for one drive at the end of the game. But I don't get it. Like he was such a mobile quarterback in college, and then the Jags have taken him and just turned him into a an exclusively like a pocket passer. And it just feels like you're not using everything he has to offer. I guess it keeps him protected but you're losing games who cares yeah i i don't know what is going on with him and you're gonna have to give him at least another season but it's just so discouraging that he can make some nice throws and like you thought he would have the football iq that was never something that was ever brought up as being an issue but it seems for some reason that he's just making these bonehead throws and plays instead of just living another down. I mean, that interception he threw was on was first first and goal on the one, and he threw that pick. It wasn't like it was fourth and goal on the five with 10 seconds left. It was first and goal on the one. Throw it out of bounds. Live another day. Yeah. No, those things, the decisions like that are so stupid, and that's the concerning thing for me is because those are the bad decisions that you see get made. Like that to me is the difference a lot of times between the very good quarterbacks and the rest of them. It's those stupid like single play bad. I, I felt that a little bit yesterday when we were watching the Browns and obviously they went on to demolish the Bengals. But when Jacoby Brissett at the end of the first half somehow threw an interception, like falling to the ground and decided to try and like underarm flick it to, and you just went, that's the kind of decision you cannot make. And that's the reason why someone like Jacoby Brissett, who for 90, 95% of a game can look pretty good, but then just makes these big boneheaded decisions that in other situations would have cost the Browns the game. They got away with it because they were just so much better than the Bengals in every other aspect. But those are the moments when you see something from a quarterback where you're like, okay, that's the thing that an elite quarterback would just not do. 
Like it's not necessarily how like their best throw. You can you know Trevor Lawrence will make throws this season that will be look just as good as what Josh Allen does or Patrick Mahomes does, but will he make more stupid decisions? And so far, the, the, the answer to that is undoubtedly yes. The last football thing I have, Eddie, is uh, on Sunday, I sent you someone had placed a bet, and it was a 17-leg, same-game parlay, but multiple games of same-game parlays. So it was five different games of like bets within the games, and it was $7.77 to win $124,000 and going into Monday night, they had just one leg left and it was Joe Mixon over 63 and a half yards rushing. I didn't, I'm, I'm assuming he did not go over, but I actually did not look. I remember you sending this. I did not look at what, but based on watching that game, I do not feel like Joe Mixon had that many yards. Joe Mixon did not get the 63 yards, but that person posted up that he got married that weekend, traveled to the game to watch the last leg, and stopped on the on the way and bet 30K on Joe Mixon to go under to hedge his bet and watch it watch on the field with his new wife a win of 30,000 but not 124,000. <laughs> yeah, that's a great weekend. Yeah. I guess a question there. There's a lot of indications from his life there that make me wonder why what was the original size of the bet? $7.77, which is probably whatever was left over from his betting account, you know, for or whatever, yeah. but like there's so much within that story that makes me wonder why that person is post is placing a bet like that. If you see what I mean, like the, the ability to hedge now, maybe he had an agreement with the book. Like, you know, maybe he didn't. No, no, he, he went to like a sports book and hedged it. No, but my question would be is, do you think there's a sports book that might not even require you to actually physically put the money down? Like, if you see what I mean, like if you sign, if you sign something with them, like you sign a contract that says, look, we can see that you have a bet ticket you're guaranteed to win X amount. You don't even need to pay us the 30000 today as long as we have a contract that says you owe us $30,000 payable, you know, in the next four days or whatever. Or maybe since they just got married, they just took all the money they got from their wedding <laughs> and threw it all in. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that could be it. Oh, I mean, yeah. either way, like, listen, either we're doubling this money or we're quadrupling this money. So <laughs> it's the smart move. Right, we've spoken about it so many times, and we've seen numerous people so far this season come up short on their final leg or one of their final legs. You have to hedge it for that sum of money, unless yeah. you are worth, unless that money means nothing to you. And then I'd wonder why you're placing a seven dollar and seventy seven cent bet. But if, <laughs> in, if you're in a in a situation where you know one hundred and forty thousand dollars is just, yeah, I make that every month. What do I care? But if if that is in any way a significant sum of money to you, which for the vast, vast, vast majority of people, anything in the six figures yeah. is is a pretty significant sum of money, you have to hedge because I just I don't know how you live with yourself if you 
<laughs> don't hedge at all. And he did the smart level of hedge, I think, which is still the original bet was the better one. Like you still root for the bet you originally yeah. placed, but you come out of it with a really nice, you go, I turned $7.77 into $30,000. Yeah, you either win 30 or you win about 95. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a good like trade-off. Most people will probably disagree and say <laughs> you optimize it to be exactly 50, 50. you win the same amount either way. But yeah. I, I like to live live a little dangerously and, and I live still think, for the thrill of the bet. Yeah, I think, yeah, if you like having the bet on, you want a bet to still be on, which means you don't do the 50-50 hedge, which in particular, if you're going to the game. All right, aside from that, uh, not the most eventful weekend of sport. Elsewhere, I mean, we've touched on Major League Baseball at times. The first couple of games of the World Series have been played. Series tied one all. Last night's game was postponed due to the weather. So it was as it was uh, coming out of that. Interesting, obviously, because Thursday night football is Philadelphia-Houston and the World Series is Philadelphia-Houston. So two cities going head-to-head in multiple sports at the same time. The Premier League... Not too much to report. I'm not even going to talk about Liverpool anymore on this podcast. They are that is the As final you talk about Liverpool. No, I know, but I'm just saying they are now not even being mentioned in the same way that we don't talk about. I don't know Crystal Palace in any great detail. So, <laughs> no, I mean that's what a burn from a Premier League it, it, Champions League. Fine, they can stay relevant. They won again today against Napoli. They they'll be in the next round. We'll have to talk about them then. But they are not making the discussions from a league perspective. Uh, I guess Manchester United seem to be hitting a little bit of hitting their stride slightly and now putting themselves in a position to be certainly strong top four contenders and, and, and probably in contention for second place. I know Arsenal fans will probably be a bit upset with the fact that drawing them into the mix. A nice performance from Arsenal as well. Concern with the Saka injury. Larger concerns for England. A number of England players seem to be dropping like flies at the moment. Obviously, right back has already been heavily affected with the Reese James injury and the Kyle Walker injury, and now you've got Saka. I don't know exactly. I haven't seen reports on exactly how severe they, they said they're optimistic he'll yeah. be back for World Cup. Yeah, which is not great. Should I, should I mention who I uh, recently purchased as an Arsenal jersey this year? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Do you want me to mention it or no? <laughs> Go ahead. I think you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone does at this point. Who was it, Frank? Sokka. <laughs> what a surprise. I think no one saw that, that particular twist coming. But yeah, I think that's obviously... And we'll, we'll have a full World Cup preview coming out pretty soon. Uh, I think we'll have to do the... Like, similar to what we did before the Euros... Um, we'll have to do, you know, pick our England squad uh, and kind of get that narrowed down to the what we think the final squad should look like. And then we'll do a full prediction for the, the World Cup itself, because obviously that will be a, a good month of sport. Yeah. And word on the street is you're going to be uh, visiting for Thanksgiving and come watch the England-USA match day after Thanksgiving. <laughs> I would be, I would feel torn. I, the atmosphere of being in the U.S. I, I feel torn about watching an England USA game there. Like I, I feel like I'd just be overall probably pretty. In frustrated. an English pub, though. 
I think the, I don't know. I don't know. It would be a new experience for me. So I, I guess I can't, but I, the way I imagine it going is probably more frustrating than it would be enjoyable. <laughs> and then speaking of world cups, we made a little bit of a mention of the cricket world cup that's ongoing. England had a big win against New Zealand today to keep their world cup hopes alive. It does mean a little bit as said on two episodes ago, looks like the group of death that they are in will go down to the final match and probably be decided if the three, if Australia, New Zealand and England win their final matches, it will be decided by uh, net run rate, which is so exciting. Uh, and you kind of have to read all these permutations about how many runs the various teams would have to win by in order for it to become like to, for the, to swing one way or the other. But uh, good to see England staying in contention for the World Cup because the Cricket World Cup goes straight from the group, the T20 World Cup goes straight from the group stages to the semifinals. If your team gets knocked out in the group stages, it's just really kind of tournament feels like it's over straight after, you know, like right as you're getting to the, the sort of exciting part of it. So that's always a shame. And the big, the other big story coming out of the Cricket World Cup, I don't know if you saw, but there was a video released of Virat Kohli, uh, captain of the Indian cricket team, one of the biggest stars in, in world cricket. I, I mean, are arguably one of the, the biggest stars in world sport. Uh, he, a video came out, someone went into his hotel room while he wasn't there and sort of like walked around filming in his hotel room and then posted on social media. And obviously Virat Kohli has spoken out against this saying it's a huge invasion of his privacy and it's made him worry about his security and, and the fact that he needs to feel like he understands, he loves the interactions that he gets to have with fans and he understands people wanting to meet their idols and, and he gets that, but that you can't be going into someone's hotel room that that's just going too far. Really weird video too. The guy's just like walking around just with his cell phone, just like filming. It's a hotel room. It's not that interesting. The only things that kind of interested me from the video, like the amount of supplements he has was not like, no, but you know, it's just like huge bags and huge, uh, like, uh, just tons. I mean, he's got supplements that you'd think would last him three months, and he's only he's not there for that long, relatively speaking. But, uh, that was the only Don't thing I run out, I guess. That was the only thing that, and I also almost surprised me that those were in his hotel room. I don't know why part of me would feel like you'd like be having those elsewhere that maybe someone even from the like the sports science or physio team or whatever might be preparing all of those things for you at specific times of the day. So you wouldn't have to have your hotel room cluttered with your various pills and, and powders. But aside from that, I just don't get really what was particularly interesting. He also had all his shoes positioned like on the ground. That was sort of interesting, but <laughs> Wait, what does that even mean? Where should his shoes be? If I'm staying in a hotel and I'm put, I've got multiple pairs of shoes. I'm probably putting them in the closet. His shoes are like lined up as you would be walking out of his hotel door. They're side by side on the ground facing the wall, just like each pair of <laughs> pair of shoes. But we're <laughs> That's talking not about that crazy. We're talking about like nine pairs of shoes. It's just taking up a lot of unnecessary hotel room space when he has a closet. That's the only thing that surprised me too. I'm not saying it's correct. I didn't like question his sanity as a result of seeing that, but I just thought, I don't know. I would have expected him just to have more stuff in his, in his closet. So I guess that wraps up everything 
Do we make mention? Do we want to talk about the Kyrie Irving situation? No. No? <laughs> we don't want to weigh into the weigh in on that? I guess we'll just say no, for those. I, I, can, do we have to give him any more attention? At, at, at what point do people just realize he's an idiot? Yeah, I mean, it's... It's, it's, it's I get fight. it. What what he said, like what he's like pushing forward is is awful and it's terrible. But at the same time, like he's a moron. And how like how are we still gonna just keep whatever he does be so shocked about it and so disappointed about it? Like, yeah, no, I, I agree with you to to a certain extent. So for those unfamiliar, Kyrie Irving, NBA player, Brooklyn Nets player, uh, t- like tweeted out this reference to a, a movie and a book um, contains a large number of anti-Semitic thoughts and facts and statements. Um, and he's then, he's been questioned. I mean, he faced a huge backlash as a result of it. The th- just the reaction to it, the two different reactions, one him in a press conference when he did get quite well challenged by a reporter on, you know, like, why are you doing this? You know, sort of, why are you promoting this? He's a classic example of a guy who thinks he's smart. So he was trying to react to the reporter in a way that was he thought was some sort of intelligent comeback to the questions that he was being asked, but just made him look like an idiot. Like, why are you trying to dehumanize me or whatever? It's like, no, actually, if you're making a statement and someone's taking an interest in it, that's actually treating you with a degree of like humanity and quite the opposite. Like he's, he's trying to understand where you're coming from. He wasn't actually even in the questions being critical of you. It was a legitimate, just why did you do this? Explain it, please. I'd like to understand. And for you to be like, Oh, I don't have to explain myself. If you want to be someone who gets listened to, then you should be want to be someone who wants to explain themselves. But the other interesting thing to me is, and it's, you know, emblematic of our society as a whole, I suppose just number of people who was like, I agreed with Kyrie Irving on the vaccine position. So I definitely agree with him on whatever this movie says. It's <laughs> like, I don't know how that works. I've never said like, well, if I agreed with someone on one thing, I'm, I'm in for it all. <laughs> There's, yeah. I mean, he, he's a flat earther. Is there anything else we need to say? Yeah. Although then, right. That was his first time where he kind of entered into a controversial topic. He managed to kind of back out of that one pretty well by saying like he was testing the way rumors could spread. If he yeah, only had right. that, if he'd only had, but he, that, also, he, but he also said he like loves conspiracy theories. Yes. He's like a big, he's a big, not even fan. Like he's a big believer in conspiracy theories or something like that. Which is a big sign that you're an idiot. Yes. Like I can understand believing i don't personally i think believe in any conspiracy theories because i just think the thing that always goes against conspiracy theories is how are so many people keeping things quiet and i just don't think our any organization or part of our society works well enough to keep major secrets under wraps for any significant period of time but aside from that i can understand maybe believing in one conspiracy theory like oh you know i believe this but if you're just one of those people who goes no 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 no, i'm a conspiracy theory person like if you tell me it's going against the grain i'm immediately on board that's so strange to me and then they'll be like well you're the idiot you don't question society or question the truth that you get told it's like well you're the reverse if you're accusing me of not questioning it you're just unendlessly questioning everything and that makes no more sense 
Yeah. And you know who also isn't a smart person? The person who says, I'm actually a smart ass individual. (laughs) Now, I mean, he is, he's one of those people who thinks that they're very intelligent and you can tell in the way that he interacts then with reporters and stuff, thinks like, oh, I'm kind of above you in this exchange. Like, I don't even know why I'm wasting my time talking to you morons. Like, you don't even get it. And then just the way he speaks and stuff. And obviously that is probably helped a little bit by where he went to college. You know, he kind of went to a smart school to play sports at. So that's good. But he went there to play sports. Doesn't mean necessarily that he went there because he was the smartest guy in the school. But he shows time and time again that he's an absolute moron. In looking him up as well, interesting that he believes that first, he, I didn't realize it until now, he was born in Australia, which makes, if he does have any flat earth thoughts, makes that even, I can kind of get someone who's like never traveled much kind of buying into the flat earth theory. But if you've, if you and your family have gone to Australia to then think that somehow the world is not round, becomes even more confusing. Yeah, I mean, you're right. He went to Duke, but he went for one year. And then he promised his father that he would get his degree within five years after leaving and then just never did. Nice. <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure he had a really good reason for that. Probably decided that. I'm sure I could go to any university in the world for one year, get enough of good grades to be able to play a sport and not learn one single thing. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, yeah, I think as an athlete, yes, you could 100% be there and and not benefit at all from the knowledge and the system that that educational institution has to offer. Like yeah, there is no reason to go, well that one year at Duke really I learned so much. Cuz I, I mean especially as a freshman, right? I think of my my, my first year at university I, yeah, that's what I mean. I, I maybe learned three things, <laughs> you know, yep. I don't remember Take, any of them. And, and they're taking courses that have already been shown to be the easiest oh, yeah. courses on like campus. The, like the UNC the students. professors. Yeah, like the UNC students taking Swahili and stuff. Like he was probably in into there, something similar. But all right, that's enough time on the Kyrie Irving situation. We can move on from sports. I see what you did there. You made me talk about it, damn it. (laughs) Anything non-sports related that you'd like to discuss? Obviously, our TV shows that we've been watching have all wrapped up. Anything new on the uh, Frank viewing schedule? Oh, I mean, you stick with Saturday nights on HBO. Just go right to White Lotus. I've not been watching White Lotus. It just started. It was week one. But that was season two, right? Yeah, season two. I've not watched a single second of it. Not even made the, I'll watch some YouTube clips. Not even wow. not even there for me. It's not a very exciting show, so I don't think the YouTube clips would be very good. <laughs> you know, Frank, you don't get it because you don't understand the YouTube clip approach. They don't need to be exciting. That's not one of the requirements. <laughs> I don't just watch like like the shootout scenes or anything. Sometimes I just watch four or five minutes of, of dialogue with no context dialogue that i don't even it's like oh, someone and you, you might like white lotus people mentioning <laughs> characters that i don't know exist because i've not watched other clips yet you know i'm i'll still watch those that's not the the set of the th- things that bring me there it's not a consistent or interesting system 
Other than that, I did start Andor. People have been very positive on Andor and saying that it's not like any of the other Star Wars shows. It's less Star Wars-y and more just a good story is what I've heard. AKA good. Yes. It's a nice way of saying, actually, this is pretty good. This is not so Star Wars-y. This is real television. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just out Star Wars. We've spoken about it before, right? I just... I've, I can't even bring myself to watch it because I just feel yeah. like over the last three years... I've consumed too much Star Wars related TV and you know maybe I'll rewatch that or watch it for the first time but 2 3 years from now I'll like oh yeah I remember that coming out let me give it a go but right now I'm I've had enough of that fictional universe Yeah I mean it's kind of a lull right now for new shows so I figure I'll give it a shot give it a few episodes see what happens before some new more some more new things come out later Yeah I w- watch the Watcher on Netflix. Oh, how was that? Frustrating. It's like <laughs> if you could imagine people consistently doing the dumbest thing possible in the situation that they find themselves in, it's kind of what they do. And I know Got it's it. I know it's loosely based on a true story. That was the other thing that frustrated me is I I kept being like this cannot be true. Like there's parts of this and then you see I had to go and then read about what the real story was and it's obviously so much different to the actual story that gets told in the TV show, but it's not bad. Like I wouldn't say don't watch it, but every episode on multiple occasions, you will find yourself frustrated with being like, why on earth would you do that? Why would be that? Why would that be the thing that you would do if this was what was happening to you? All right. Well, with that, I guess we'll uh, call it a wrap. Talk to you later. Cheerio.